Well, good morning. What a beautiful day the Lord has given us as we celebrate uh, our child dedication today. We celebrate everything that children mean, life and love and how much joy and at sometimes frustrations uh, they bring into our lives. I wanted to, as we uh, get ready for our child dedication this morning, I wanted to tell you a little bit about the best sermon I've ever heard. Um, and I know Dr. Jay's down here going, please be me, please be me. But it came from a four-year-old. I don't know how, how quite a few of you, I'm guessing, have brothers and sisters, right? Now, how many of you, be honest, have ever fought with your brothers and sisters? Me too. I've got a younger sister. Life was great for the first three and a half years of my life. And then my lovely sister, Laura, was born. And we used to fight constantly over the little armrest that folded down out of my parents' 1985 Toyota Camry. And it was playing king of the hill with your arms to see who could claim the armrest. My kids have taken on the same, the same uh, notion in life by fighting amongst themselves, as kids often do. Our oldest two, Hannah and Emily, they're now both in college. But when they were young, they were both, Hannah was about four, Emily was about two. And uh, I can't even remember what they were fighting about. They fought about so many little things when you're little kids. You fight over toys. You fight over uh, who gets to sit closer to mom or dad when you're reading a book. You, just anything you can find. So they had fought earlier in the day. And we're saying goodnight. We're doing our bedtime prayers. And Hannah agrees she says, uh, I'm going to pray. So she folds her hands, bows her head, sitting on the little bed there. Dear God, thank you for this day. I'm sorry I hit it, Emily. Please forgive me. Amen. And as soon as she said that word, amen, her little head popped up. She got this big smile on her face, and she goes, he said yes. best sermon I've ever heard. That came at a time in my life where I was really struggling, where I was really hurting, where all the problems of adult life were crowding out the voice of the Savior. I was feeling frustrated. I was feeling hurt. And yet, the three words, he said yes, brought the gospel to me in that moment. Because in the midst of my struggles, I was forgetting that his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. I was forgetting that as far as the east is from the west, so far had he removed my transgressions, my sins, from me. I was forgetting that 
God had told us that though our sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. I was forgetting that there is nothing in this world that has the power to ever separate us from the love that God has shown us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I was forgetting that even where I had failed, the Lord had promised in 1 John that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. My four-year-old daughter said all that to me with three words. He said yes. I think that's a little bit of what Jesus is talking about when he talks about the faith of a child. That simple profession of faith. Not clouded by cynicism, not clouded by sarcasm, and not clouded by all the problems of adult life, but simple passion because she knew what Jesus had done for her. Because she was taught growing up about the scriptures, about who Jesus is and what he had done for her. As I thought about the child dedication this morning, um, I was drawn to a passage in 2 Timothy. Um, If you know about Paul and Timothy's relationship, uh, Paul brought Timothy along on several missionary journeys, and he considered him his son in the faith, is how he referred to him several times. Now, if we look at 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, starting at verse 3, Paul writes, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and I am persuaded now lives in you also. So here we say, see Paul's words to Timothy, and he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. And he refers back in the family history to his uh, grandmother and mother and the roles that they played in bringing Timothy up in the faith. Now, it's interesting, um, if you look at Acts chapter 16, verse 1, you see uh, Paul talking about coming to Lystra and bringing Timothy along with him. And uh, it refers to uh, Timothy's father as being a Greek, and he was most likely an unbeliever. So the faith came down through grandmother and mother to Timothy um, in his young age. There is power in praying and teaching parents for their kids. There is power in praying grandmothers, and I know there's a lot of you in here We've talked over the, the, the past few months um, as uh, you've shared your stories with me. There's a lot of grandparents in here who are fervently praying for their grandchildren and actively teaching the faith to their grandchildren. 
And there is power in that. I remember when we were first married, uh, my wife and I would go down to Bowling Green, Kentucky, uh, to uh, my in-law's house. And her grandmother and her grandparents uh, had moved in right next door to help uh, so they could be closer to help care for them. And every time we left, her grandmother, which we would call Nanny, Nanny would come over to our car and she'd be, I have to pray with you before you leave. Insisted every time, I've got to pray with you before you leave. And then she'd pray with us and then she'd like stick 20 bucks in the window for gas and uh, we'd be on our way. But that was the most important thing. We could not leave until Nana came over and prayed with us. The faith of Nanny played down through the generations in our family. When we skip a little farther over in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we get to verse 14, where Paul says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It's interesting, in this verse, the Greek word there actually literally translated means infancy. How from infancy, a tiny baby, you have known the Scriptures. Now, in Jewish tradition, uh, someone like Timothy would have started his formal schooling at the synagogue in, like, fifth, uh, age five. So, think equivalent to like our kindergarten. That's when they'd start getting into Old Testament studies. But this reference specifically goes back to the faith of his grandmother and mother and how he was grown up in the Word even before his school age years. It shows the importance for us as parents and believers from day one to be raising our children in the faith. Our kids can get a lot from the world around us. They can learn a lot about math and science, about how to succeed in life, how to make better financial decisions. And those are all important things. But from the scriptures, we learn grace. We learn forgiveness. We learn that even when our earthly parents fail us, and they sometimes will, that our Heavenly Father never fails us. They learn a love of a Savior that's so deep that while we were sinners, while we were at the worst of our worst, He gave us His best. Went to the cross for all of our sin, all of our imperfection and rose in victory over sin and death and the grave. So we know for certain that we have a home in heaven, that we are loved, we are accepted in Christ Jesus. That is what we have to share with our children. That is what our, the parents who are participating in the child dedication this morning will be promising as they promise to raise their kids in the knowledge of the Lord The goal's not 
just to be a decent human being, although that's not a bad goal. We want to be that. The goal is to know in the depth of their soul that they are loved by their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And there is nothing that can ever separate them from that love. Nothing has that power. Jesus conquered it all. And as a congregation, as the family of Christ here at FBC, we're going to stand alongside those parents. And we're going to promise that we're going to do everything in our power to walk alongside them, to build them up in the faith, to help these parents know that when they fail as parents, which they will, we all do, that we've got their back, that we will come to them in love and point them to Christ. That's our job as the family of faith. So at this time, I'd love for our families who are participating in our child dedication this morning to come forward, and uh, we're going to have you spread out below the stairs here just so you all uh, get to meet everyone here. Uh, we'll have a chance. We'll be taking some pictures and things after the service to greet uh, these folks as well. But I'm going to pass the microphone down to each family here and let them introduce themselves to you. My name is Roger Feltner, and this is Elijah Feltner. We are the Sprays. We have, my name is Will, Joanna, or Joanna. <laughs> Caroline, and we are dedicating Henry today. My name is Ben Marks, and this is Summer and Calvary Grace. My name is Chase Simpson. This is Jonah, Laura, and Gracie. I'm Kelsey Cleaver. This is Jeremy and Hunter, and we're dedicating Cambry. Hi, we're the Udies. I'm Kevin. This is Caitlin. Uh, Charlotte, Jack, and this is Elizabeth, who we are dedicating today. Very good. Well, we're excited to have a small army up here in the front that we get the privilege of dedicating, and uh, we are so thankful for each of you as families and for your involvement here at First Baptist and for your willingness to come forward to be a part of this special day. As we get started, um, we're going to have two parts to this. My man needs his car right there. As we, as we go through this today, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to have a commitment portion for the families, and then we're going to invite you as the church family. There's going to be a response for you afterwards. So parents, we'll start with you. Will you promise today to pursue the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength as an example before your child, if so, please say, we will. Will you promise to be intentional in introducing your child to Jesus and teaching them to trust and follow him with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength? If so, please say, we will. Will you promise to be present for your children and to walk with them as they are on their journey with and to Jesus. If so, please say, we will. Promise making always matters in as much as it leads to promise keeping. And today you don't make this promise on your own, your family, 
and friends and your family of faith here at First Baptist Church will promise to join you in this endeavor as well. To you as a church, I ask you, will you promise to pray for these children and these families and to serve them as role models and guides and as helps, using your influence to assist them as they attempt to lead godly lives as they pursue Jesus? If so, please say, together, we will. Will you support and partner with these families as they seek to raise these children up in Christ? Will you offer your resources, your time, your talent, treasure, and your very selves to support them and to draw them forward? If so, please say, we will. Well, now we'll anoint each child. I want to be clear that what we're doing this morning is not baptizing these children. We will use water as it is a symbol of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And this is an important moment of faith for the child, but also for you as a parent, as you are, we are looking forward to the day one day where these children will accept Jesus and hopefully come forward to join us in baptism. We'll start right here. Elizabeth Udi, I anoint you with water as a symbol of the Holy Spirit under whose protection and guidance we are sealing you. And I dedicate you unto God the Father in the name of his Son, Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. She loves it. It's like, what did he just do to me? That's right. All right. Now we've got Cambry Kleber. Hi, Cambry. How you doing there, kid? You doing good? <laughs> Cambry, I anoint you with water as a symbol of the Holy Spirit under whose protection and guidance we are sealing you. And I dedicate you unto God the Father in the name of his Son and the power of his Spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mr. Jonah, you ready? He's like, nah. Jonah, I anoint you with water as a symbol of the Holy Spirit under whose protection and guidance we are sealing you. And I dedicate you to God the Father in the name of his Son by the power of his Spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Gracelyn Simpson, I anoint you with water as a symbol of the Holy Spirit, under whose protection and guidance we are sealing you. And I dedicate you to God the Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, his Son, by the power of his Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Calvary marks, I anoint you with water as a symbol of the Holy Spirit, under whose protection and guidance we are sealing you. And I dedicate you unto God the Father in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of his Spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You ready, Henry? All right. Henry Spray, I anoint you with water as a symbol of the Holy Spirit, under whose protection and guidance we are sealing you. And I dedicate you unto God the Father in the name of his Son, by the power of his Spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Listen, you guys can't see his face up here, but the whole time he's going. 
He's amped, my guy. It's good-looking shoes there. Elijah. How you doing, Elijah? You doing good? Found it. He's like, forget you. Elijah, I anoint you with water as a symbol of the Holy Spirit, under whose guidance and protection we are sealing you. And I dedicate you unto God the Father in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of his Spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want to invite you all to stand with me and join with me as we commit to what we've just said, as we commit that to the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to join us in this endeavor as we seek to serve these families and to care for these children that he's entrusted us with. If you join us, I invite you to lift your hand and hold it forward as a symbol of joining us in prayer and committing yourself to what we have just said this morning. Father God, I thank you so much for each of these families. God, I thank you for each of these children that you have entrusted to them and to us. God, what a blessing to have new life in this church, not just in a spiritual sense, but in a physical sense. Lord, children are a blessing from the Lord. It tells us in Psalms, and, and, and blessed is the man who's, who has many. Lord, we have many children here, and we are blessed, and we thank you for this blessing. We pray that you would help us to steward it well to care for these children well, Lord, to consistently lead them to Jesus, to point them to him, the author and perfecter of their faith. Lord, that, that in all that we do, that we would do our best to point them to their heavenly Father who loves them, who made them, who seeks to walk with them through this life and on into eternity. God, we pray that you would hold these children and their families close to you, that we would, that we would walk with them with grace, with mercy and righteousness. Thank you, Lord. We know, as Tim just said, that all that we've asked, you said yes. And we thank you and pray that you would walk with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you all. You can head back to your seats. Or the nursery. You can go to the nursery. But they're welcome to stay in here and make noise because it actually will help with what I'm about to say. <laughs> so... Um, Tim and I have been talking uh, back and forth about this uh, child dedication service that we were going to do, and uh, I asked Tim, I said, so Tim, as we come into this child dedication service, would you like to preach the service, or would you like for me to preach the service? And Tim said, oh, well, I, I think that that's more your gifting and not mine, so why don't you go ahead and preach the sermon? And then... That sucker gets up here and drops a bomb, awesome sermon and makes me follow him. We will be having a discussion this week, good sir. You just sandbagged me. Did a great job. And so I'm not going to take a ton of time this week. <laughs> I'm not going to take a ton of time this week. But I do want to draw our attention to someone, something as, as we come to the, the, the back end of this child dedication service. We as a church need to be for our children. You know, one of the things that we often, we often hashtag, you know, the hashtags online, if you look, you'll see occasionally it'll say, for Seymour, and that's something that we have been saying since I got here in 2017, that we want to be a church that is for the community, that is out in the community seeking to make a difference, to help them grow, help them see Jesus. We want to be for the community, but we also want to be a church for our children. 
And in part of being for our children is that we've got to be a space that prioritizes them, that makes space for them, that welcomes them, that sees them as valuable, that, that treats them as, as, some, as people that matter, that, that they have a place and they have priority in our midst. I remember the first trip that I had to India. I went to India to speak at a youth ministry conference. And, and when I got there, it was, it was pretty amazing. They treated us like, like we were state visitors of state. No matter where we went, we, we didn't really walk anywhere. They would drive us in the morning. They would come pick us up. They would take us to the church, and they would drive us right to the front steps. Someone would open the door and let us go up into the building. And then as soon as things were done, our handlers would come grab us and lead us immediately to the car, which, you know, here in America, we turn our car to heat them up. They'd already turned the car on to cool it down. And so they would open the door, put us in the car. And so we struggled for the first few days to, to do what we as youth pastors were there to do, which was to be with the kids. So finally, we decided we needed to make a plan. We needed to make a getaway because this wasn't working for us. This whole being dignitaries thing was not working. It's not why we were there. So we snuck out before the service ended one day and went out into the, the, the front courtyard and when the service ended, the kids came out, and we immediately grabbed them and started playing games of ultimate frisbee and throwing around a ball and playing kickball. And the, the leaders of the conference came outside and saw us out there in, in our, our jackets and ties and khakis playing with all of these kids and were horrified. And they immediately came and, and got between us and the kids because they assumed that it was the kids that had arranged all this and started this game playing and that we had just got caught in the crossfire. And so they came out saying, no, 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 no. You need to leave Reverend Myers alone. You need to leave Reverend Ely alone. You need to, and, and we're like, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? And they're like, we are so sorry that the children have bothered you. It's like, no, that's why we're here. We're here for the kids. We didn't come across the ocean for you. We're here for them. It's not that there wasn't value to the adults, and there were things that we did with them. But at that time, as we were in this conference for youth, we were there for the youth. I think that we, we sometimes lose sight of, of, of needing to have a place and the importance of, of giving children a spot in our midst. You know, I loved this morning as things were, were going and as Tim was talking, I loved that you could hear the noises of happy and somewhat discontented children throughout the sanctuary. Right? Right behind me, I had little man, Jonah's sitting there, he's banging on the, the pew with a car, and he's driving it, and he's dropping it, and then it became a game with us picking it up and handing it back to him, and then him dropping it and handing it back to him. And, and, and I loved that. Because here we are on, on a Sunday where we are, we are prioritizing children, where we're committing ourselves to raising these children to follow Jesus. And as we're doing that, we hear the evidence that the children are here. See, that's the big thing about blessing children and, and committing to raise children to follow Jesus is in order to do that, you actually have to have children present. But if you're like me, there's a small part of you internally, and I know the parents because I could hear it, where the parents are going, shh, 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 stop, sit still, don't do that. And, and in my heart, I'm saying, you leave that baby alone. Right? That's great. We want that noise. 
What evidence? What, what amazing evidence of life. But we as the church have made the things that we do in here to be very mature. And, and we, we think of, of things that are sacred or holy as things that are clean and quiet. That, that when, we, when we come into this space, it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be solemn and serious. I don't think that that's what we see all the time with Jesus. As a matter of fact, most of the time, Jesus is doing his teaching on the road, out and about, with crowds clamoring around, everybody pushing in to get his attention. And, and, and we see in three of the gospel writers, we see the same, the same incident take place. This morning, I'm going to focus us in on the reading in the gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 18... Verses 15 through 17, it tells us this. People were bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Now again, I could go and read that in two different accounts in two different Gospels. It's probably the same story. It's probably the same happening. But the, the odds are that it, it was not a one-off experience. Right? Like, the odds are that, that it wasn't just one time they were out in one community and that, that in that one time and one time only, people were bringing kids to Jesus. This is probably an overriding, overarching theme that happened. That just like anywhere that Jesus would go, everyone's bringing all their sick people to him. Anywhere that Jesus would go, people are bringing their kids. You know what's awesome about Jesus in all of these instances? Is that Jesus made space for children in his presence. Jesus made space for children in his presence. Perhaps you've heard the old Sunday school song, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. For Jesus, having those kids come to him was something that, that he was more than good with. And I wonder if part of that wasn't the fact that, that he understood the difficulty of raising children. Now, he wasn't a parent, but he is the God of the universe. And let's be honest, raising kids is hard in any era. Raising kids is hard at any stage of life. And most of us will take whatever help we can get, however and whenever we can get it. Right? Any, anyone agree to that? It's, man, you want to come help me with my kids? I'm there. That's why parents are coming forward. Right? It's amazing. The parents with little kids are like, mm-hmm, come on, you preach now. That, that's why we do this is, is we know that we need help. In the Gospels, one of the interesting things that I noticed between the three Gospels is that each of the Gospel writers uses a different word for children. Luke, the word that Luke uses, is a word for babies. If we were to translate it as literally as possible, Luke says, hey, people were bringing babies to Jesus. Matthew makes them a little bit older. He gives it a, a wider range. And Matthew uses a word that means literally translated, little children. Mark, he uses a word that is 
translated children, but that is used throughout the Gospels to indicate anybody under the age of 13. Which is pretty cool if you put all three together, right? Because you have these parents that are bringing their kids that are 12 and under to Jesus. Now, what's the significance of that? Well, it was at the age of 13 that kids became accountable for their own faith and their own life. Up to the age of 12, which is what what the oldest that it indicates here, up to the age of 12, the parents were completely responsible for the care and the conduct of their children. They were in the control of the parents. At 13, those kids needed to begin making their faith their own. Well, we would, we would say the same thing today, really. It, it, it is up to about the age of 12, and once they get to 12 or 13, that's why youth group happens the way that it is. Because as kids are beginning to develop, and they're beginning to, to develop those abilities to process um, abstract concepts, that's when we begin really digging in with making their faith their own. What we do today isn't a whole lot different than what's happening in Jesus' day. And so all of these children are being brought to Jesus. Why were they being brought to Jesus? Well, because it was common practice for adults to bring children to great men or women to have them blessed. The hope was that the success, wisdom, power, or holiness of this great man or woman would then rub off on the child. That by exposure to greatness or goodness, that the child would somehow pick up any part of that. I mean, and who better to bring your kid to than Jesus, right? Jesus was casting out evil spirits. Jesus is healing, quote, every sickness. Jesus is raising the dead to life. And Jesus is guiding people through his teachings into eternal life. Now, let me just ask the question. What parent amongst us or caregiver hasn't thought that their little darling could use an exorcism at some point in time? (laughs) What parent wouldn't jump at the chance to have a confirmed healer touch their little germ factories? What parent isn't looking from some assistance just to keep their kids alive? Who wouldn't want Jesus to put their hands on their kids? Sign me up. It's no wonder people were clamoring to Jesus, hoping that that he would hold them and touch them and bless them. Most of us feel underqualified and overwhelmed by the task of raising children. Like the people in Jesus' day, do we not seek out model adults to point our kids to in hopes that they will inspire them, inform and assist us in helping our kids grow into all they can be? Don't we take our kids to concerts and to to various happenings so that they can look up at the professionals doing these exciting things, hoping that our kids will then develop their talents? Maybe you say, well, that's a stretch. Well, how, how many of us pay for dance lessons or voice lessons or singing lessons or writing lessons or what, play, pay for kids to be on, on traveling sports teams or to, and then rearrange our lives to make those things happen? 
Now, we do that with the hope that those kids will develop and grow and that those talents and abilities will help propel them forward in their life. And I'd say that's a good and proper thing for us to do. But as we do, we should be as determined and outright desperate to get our kids connected to Jesus as any coach, any academic advisor or teacher, any trainer or any mentor this world has to offer. Only Jesus can provide the path to true, full, and joy-filled life. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is more than happy to make space for your child in his presence. Jesus was not only happy to welcome children, but also to embrace and bless them. Jesus was happy to to welcome and, and then to embrace and bless the children. Note that the disciples see this happening, and they see these children as an unwelcome distraction. So much so that they try to mitigate it, right? Hey, hey, you got to keep your kids quiet. This is church. Jesus is trying to talk. You keep, you keep those kids quiet. Hey, hey, what are you doing bringing the kids up to Jesus like this? This is not for them. They, they need to be seen but, but not heard. Seen but not experienced. They, they get to be here, but they, they need to wait their turn. Luke tells us that Jesus rebuked them. One of the gospel writers tells us that Jesus was indignant. Jesus was furious. Jesus was livid that his disciples would step in like this. Jesus saw the prohibition of children from his presence as an injustice unworthy of his disciples. Jesus saw the prohibition of children from his presence as an injustice unworthy of his disciples. At times, again, we do see children as a bit of an inconvenience. We see them as a distraction to be controlled, to be mitigated, to be seen and not heard, to know their place and wait their turn. We want to keep them close, but we also want to keep them out of the way. Mark tells us that Jesus called them to join him in the center of the action. And Jesus welcomes us to bring our children to him. He wants to touch and bless their lives because that's the thing. Jesus didn't just say, hey, bring those children over. He's like, no, no, bring me that baby. Bring me that baby. Let me hold that baby. And it says that he embraced them, that he, he blessed them. Jesus was more than happy not just having children be there, but to have them right in the mix, in the center of what was going on, that he could draw them close to his heart, that he could touch them in meaningful ways. See, Jesus wanted those children not to just be with him then, but to walk with him through life. Something that we've got to understand is kids won't walk with someone they don't know. Kids won't walk with someone they don't know. What is it that we teach children? What is it that we teach young children about strangers? Stranger danger! This summer I had a stranger danger experience with my family. We went north, we were at the lake, and I have... I don't even remember anymore how nieces, many nieces and nephews I've got, but it's a lot. Like, it's a small army. And unfortunately, because we've lived away for so long, I have some nieces and nephews that really don't know me all that well. I see them two or three times a year, and so to them, I'm kind of a stranger. 
So I'm playing in the water with one of my nieces or nephews, and, and we're wrestling in the water. And I'll be honest, like, this is an older kid, so, like, I'm half drowning him. Like, I got to establish dominance. Blessing him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so we're wrestling in the water, and one of the young children sees it from the, the shore. They see me in there wrestling with this kid and start screaming out, Stranger danger! Stranger danger! Stranger danger! And I'm like, whoa! Someone going to jail today. The issue was that my niece and nephew didn't know me. We didn't have a relationship in that way. And so they didn't trust me. They saw me as being dangerous. They saw me as being someone that they needed to keep at a distance. They saw me as someone they needed to protect themselves and their family from. And one of the great shames of our lives is when we don't get our kids close to Jesus and they go off without having ever been introduced. And rather than running to Jesus, they run from Jesus because he's a stranger. Brothers and sisters, if our children are going to see Jesus, they are going to see them first and foremost in us. They're going to see them in how you interact with your family and friends at home. They are going to see them in how you prioritize or do not prioritize being involved and connected with the body of Christ. They are going to see it in the way we as a church talk about and treat them and others when they come through the doors. Our children see more than you know. What are they seeing? Are we, are we showing them Jesus? Are we doing our best so that they've in, been introduced to him and that they're willing to walk with him? If we want our children to grow up and live as a part of God's family, we must invite them to participate in what the family does. We must prioritize giving them a place and seeking to bless them. There is no greater blessing we can give our children than to usher them into the presence of Jesus so that they might live in the blessing of his embrace. Something that's interesting, and I'll close with this. If you were to look on, you know what the very next story in Luke chapter 18 is? We talked about it a couple weeks ago. It's the story of the rich man who refused to follow Jesus. Remember, Jesus comes to the rich man. The rich man comes to Jesus and says, hey, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, hey, you know the commands, right? Talks about loving the neighbor, and then the, the guy says, hey, look, since I was a boy, I've done all of these. And Jesus says, good, but you lack one thing. Go sell everything you own, then come follow me. And it tells us that the man walked away sad because he was very wealthy. How we raise and treat our children is a stewardship issue. How we raise and treat our children is a stewardship issue. The greatest resource that God entrusts to us is not our money, it's not our talents and abilities, it's not our time, it is our children. It is the legacy of the next generation. How are we stewarding it? We need to do our best to raise our kids, not only to follow God's law, but also to adopt God's heart. But that was the failure of the young man, the, the, the rich young man in Jesus' story, is that we talked about it a few weeks ago, is that he followed God's law, but he didn't understand or share God's love. May we as parents and as families and as a church not reduce following in a relationship with Jesus to a list of rights and wrongs. May we understand that it is, in fact, a relationship, that it is a daily walk 
a process of living in his love and sharing it. May we not let our cynicism and our skepticism and our jaded mentalities influence their faith in a negative way. Rather, maybe we do what Tim talked about and learn and let them preach to us through their example. The truth is that, that our children will have to pick their own path one day. And ultimately, that is going to be those children's choices. This rich young ruler that had all the money, it was not their parents' fault that he chose to walk away from Jesus. That was his choice. Brothers and sisters, we cannot be accountable for what our adult children do. One day their faith will have to become their own and they will pick their path. All we can do as parents and as members of the family of faith is do all that we can to point them down the right path towards Jesus and to impress upon them the importance of walking with them while we can. Make the most of the opportunities and the moments God has given us to steward well the years of childhood so that one day they couldn't think of walking without him. Proverbs 22.6 tells us to train up children in the way they should go and when they are old, they will not turn from it. A recent study called the National Study of Youth and Religion studied thousands of youth and young adults and children across the country over, over a decade. And they found that those who were raised in the church were likely to either stay or return to the church in adulthood. That likelihood was increased exponentially when the church had dedicated adults who intentionally invested in the faith and development of the children and youth. So the, the difference maker in these churches, in churches where children walked away when they were adults and didn't come back, and, and churches where children either stayed or left and returned, was not exclusively in what happened in the pulpit or in teaching times. That was important. But one of the single greatest indicators was people in the pews who intentionally, graciously, and lovingly reached out to the children and made an intentional effort to encourage and walk with them. Brothers and sisters, as we seek to steward the blessing that God has given us and these children, may we not leave it all to the parents, but may we seek to do what we said we'd do to come alongside these children, to make space for them in our midst, to let them know that they are loved and that they are prioritized, and to walk with them, showing them that not only do they need Jesus, but we do as well. And as, and as we do that, consistently pointing them to the Father and seeking to walk with them as they pursue him. Father God, I thank you for this day and for each of these children and their families that we've prayed for. I thank you for the many other families that, that we have a chance to pray for and to walk with. Lord, I pray that you would work and, and move in our lives according to your plan and purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.